What's up, you beautiful people? This is Gary Horn, and this is This is the NWA, a podcast celebrating the past, present, future history, legacy, and tradition of one of the greatest pro wrestling entities of all time, the National Wrestling Alliance. And today is a great day. I mean, as great as it can be. We're all stuck in quarantine still as of this recording, and uh, that is disappointing. But uh, hopefully we're coming around on this whole thing. Folks, I just wanted to say everybody that's reached out to me, that's DM'd or said anything about uh, missing me on the YouTube live show, stay tuned. We have some plans in the pipeline that I think you're going to love. I love you guys for reaching out to me, though. Thank you so much. It makes me feel good that uh, anybody cares or anybody missed me. So that's that's very, very kind. So I did want to get that out of the way up front. But most important, today I have one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. No lie. It is fascinating. Talking to Miss, uh, I'm not even going to try to say it like she does, Mayra Diaz Gomez. You know her better as May Valentine from NWA Power. May is oh so so great. Uh, she she's just a really really cool person to talk to, and I think you're gonna get that out of this. It's full of interesting stories and things she's done so far. She just has had quite the life already, and I can't wait to see how she progresses in one of our favorite shows, NWA Power. And besides being so full of cool stuff, she is also very, very sweet and patient. Uh, My recorder messed up the first time we were supposed to talk, and I had that trouble, and it just kept, just things kept happening, and she just stuck through it and ended up doing the interview anyway when she could have just been like, hey, you know what, amateur, get out of here. Don't want to talk to But no, she's here, and she completes our love triangle. We had Sal on two weeks ago, Royce on last week, and now May Valentine. We'll call her the main event. So I don't want to waste too much of your time. I want to get you right into that interview. Just remember that I am at This Is Gary Horn everywhere on the social medias, and the show is also everywhere at The NWA Pod. We have a brand new YouTube page. Go ahead and sign up there if you haven't already. This interview probably won't drop there right away, but I'm hoping to have it up maybe this weekend. We'll see. Uh, Trying to get some stuff done, but I'm also in the middle of planning out a lot of other stuff that I think uh, you guys are going to like. All right. No more talking for me. Ladies and gentlemen, May Valentine. have been such a sweetheart with this whole thing, May, and I, I appreciate you so much because people will not know how much runaround I've given you, and you were still very kind about it. Oh, I, no, you just had a problem with your recorder. I would not say that's a runaround. <laughs> okay. May, May Valentine is, is here with me right now, and so Brazilians apparently have a very beautiful way of saying things, and so I'm going to mess this up because I've heard you say it because I've... I've been doing my okay. research, but uh, it's it's like Mayor. I, I would say Mayra Diaz Gomez, but that doesn't sound in, right. In Portuguese, it's Mayra Diaz Gomez. Oh, see, that sounds so much more. But awesome. that's a little difficult usually for Americans, so I pretty much just changed my name to Mayra. <laughs> yeah, it's a really lovely name. I just uh, I was I was watching video of you, and I was and you were saying it, and I was like. I don't know how she's saying it's that. It's funny because most most people that I know here in the U.S. don't even know that my name is Mayra and not Myra. 
I think at some point I just decided I was going to go with Myra because I was tired of having people try to say it. <laughs> oh, I, so but it's all good. I'm, I'm Myra. A, a lot of people listening. Yeah, I was about to say a lot of people listening to this are going to know you as May Valentine, but yes. I. I am super excited to talk to you, man. I don't mean to freak out on you like a nerd, but I am fascinated with you as a person. So I am really excited oh, that thank I actually you get so to much. Yeah, you have, I can't even keep up with your whole life. <laughs> like you've done so much stuff and you started super, super young. So I don't want to yeah. annoy everybody about the NWA, but I want to talk to you about that. Like you, you were a writer at like 19. Yeah. I started writing my first book actually when I was 16 years old. Um, and then it came out uh, when I was 19. Um, and it, it was a bestseller. It was my first book actually. That's crazy. That does not happen to just everybody. Like what? No, it doesn't. I realize I'm I'm very lucky. What in your life like made you just start writing like that? That that's you just decided. Well, well I, now I got a book. I always grew up with writing because my father was actually a writer. Um, he was a playwright, and he also wrote soap operas for television in Brazil. So since I was a kid, like my life was all about writing and acting. My mom's an actress. So it was writing and acting and my bro I have three older brothers, they're musicians. So my life was pretty much like very artistic and I always enjoyed writing. Um, I started writing in a diary, I think when I was about eight years old and I wrote every day until I was about 15. Um, so I literally have my entire like adolescent years written down in diaries, um, all my high school dramas. And then when I was 15, that's when like blogs started being popular online. So I started writing online. And at that time, I got myself sort of an audience because of the way I wrote about things. I guess I always wrote things in a very honest manner, a very raw, I would say. Um, and like teenagers really could relate to the stuff that I talked about online. So like I already had my following online when I was about 15. Um, and that was before my first, I started writing my first book. So when my first book came out, I already had that readership following. That's so crazy. Like, how do, how do you think people found you? Was this like in, I mean, was this like with on social media or something or? Yeah, there was a social media in Brazil called uh, Photolog, which was really popular. It was like before MySpace, but like the same way that it is on Instagram now where certain people are popular on Instagram. Like I became popular on this platform called Photolog, which was like a photo posting app, kind of similar to Instagram, but I used it for writing as well. So I'd post a photo and I'd write um, and I got a lot of people following me that way. That's really cool. And, and most of the stuff you've done is has been fiction, right? Like I know you said you connected a lot with teenagers at the time being able to relate to you and stuff, but I know you, you did a book on your father, but but most of what you've written has been fiction. Is that right? Not really, actually. The The first book is kind of half a memoir and half fiction. Okay. And the only reason it's not 100% a memoir is because I was afraid of people's reactions. Gotcha. So I mixed it up with some fiction so I could maybe say, oh, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> when it actually was. But yeah, and when I was writing online, I always wrote about my life. So everything had... Um, an autobiographical tone to it, really. But then after that, the books I wrote were fiction. 
And and I saw like in 2012 though you did do a book about your father, right? Uh, yeah, I did. And and that's it. Sounds really great. It was about his writings. And was I getting um, that right? Well, my father died when I was 11 years old, so I didn't get to know him as much as I would like to have because I only knew him as a child, and I always, you know, wondered what certain conversations would would be with him because. He, he was born in 1922, so he lived through a lot of stuff, a lot of change in the world. Right. And uh, so me and my sister, we were, we were asked by a publishing company, actually, to, to put this book together. And uh, basically, we put together interviews that he gave throughout his life. I think it starts around the 50s or 60s, uh, up until his death in 1999. So we basically put together his interviews and through the interviews, you can also see the changes like political changes and historical changes in the country, uh, like through his opinions, through the interviews that he gave. So that's what that book is about. I think that's really interesting because um, just in, you know, that's a that's a thing not a lot of people have access to as well. Like, you know, I, I guess you're lucky to, to, to have your father uh, yeah. had so many opinions out there. I, I've got like a father-in-law like my my wife's dad is kind of a fascinating guy to me. And I keep saying like, I, I got all this podcasting stuff. I need to record him because he's like 70 something now. But he was like born in Puerto right. Rico and uh, came to New York and. Uh, grew up there and then joined the army and had all these fascinating army stories. He's just like a wealth of all this knowledge and stuff. And uh, exactly. anyway, so it's, I've always said, I've got to do that. And I was reading about you and, and how you kind of were able to put together some of your uh, father's stuff. Like, yeah, it, it was really cool for us because we, we didn't know a lot. We got to know a lot about our dad through the process of putting that book together. Did you do, do any formal schooling as far as writing, or is it just always just kind of been like you crafted it all on I, your own? I did not. I did not, actually. My story is uh, not something I would recommend <laughs> for other teenagers, uh, but when I was 15 years old, I actually dropped out of high school, and I just I didn't want to go to school anymore. I was very different from everybody in my school. Like I felt very different. Um, and I felt like I already knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a writer. Um, and I was very, very rebellious, to be honest. So that's why I'm saying, like, don't use this as an inspiration because not everybody will be that lucky to drop out of high school and immediately go into a career. But fortunately, it happened for me. Uh, so I left school when I was 15 years old. And my mom was, you know, going crazy about it, obviously, very disappointed. Um, and she's like, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I'm going to write a best-selling book. And I was going through like a lot of problems at the time. Like I had depression when I was younger, a lot of it like stemming really from my father's, uh, passing away. Uh, and my mom like said, that's what you should do. You should write a book, just write everything you're going through. So my mom really helped me with that. And luckily it was my first book and it was a bestseller. So I immediately went into a writing career so I didn't like actually go to college or anything that's pretty fascinating too that your your mom I guess just because of uh you know her career or whatever is is yeah was kind of more understanding of it than my mom would have been like oh that's good you're gonna write a best-selling oh, she, book she but... tried a lot of things before that <laughs> she certainly tried to force me to go to school but like, I was really rebellious. I would just run away, to be honest. Like, somebody would drop me at school, and I would run away. 
or I would hide in the bathroom for the entire school hours just because I didn't want to go to class anymore. It just like I was, I went through like some traumatic experiences in high school and I just don't know. I didn't want to be there anymore. Well, you're, I mean, so you're uh, the uh, poster child for turning this around though, because then not only are you doing books and stuff, but then you've gotten into, I mean, you've done everything. So then how did, how did journalism get started for you? Okay. So yeah. Uh, so I, I had my first book published. Um, that was a success. And so it got me into a lot of um, magazines and newspapers, people that wanted to talk to me. Um, and eventually uh, the editor of the largest newspaper in Brazil read my book and asked if I wanted to work for the newspaper um, as a, a music columnist. So I was 19 years old when I started working for the largest newspaper in Brazil. And pretty much that's how I started learning. Like I learned working inside of the newspaper. And then from, from that, a lot of other people, you know, asked me to work for them, to freelance for them. So I started doing like articles for different magazines and newspapers. And um, I was a literature columnist on MTV also. I just did like all kinds of things writing wise. I wrote for like most of the mainstream press in Brazil, mostly about like um, teenage issues or about music. And so somewhere along the way, I guess somebody was also like, oh, by the way, uh, besides being really smart and talented at writing, you're also pretty good looking. You could do a model <laughs> if you just want to dominate everything, right? It, exactly. <laughs> and everything in my life sort of happens this way. Like I'm doing something and then somebody sees me and asks if I want to do something else. And modeling was exactly the same way. Like I was promoting my book and different photographers wanted to photograph me to help the promotion of the book. So I started like doing magazine shoots and cover shoots to help promote my book. Uh, but I found out very early that a way to promote books is to being sexy photos <laughs> oh. if that makes any sense well it's not working um, for me but i just <laughs> <laughs> well it, it would it would help sell my book I so gotcha. that's like how that started well like so with the music reviews like how did, were you like just big into music and then somebody was like oh you might be good at this or like where why why did it start there with the journalism part? Uh, i think the reason was because uh my book my first book is a very like drug sex rock and roll story gotcha um so the main character goes through like an underground rock and roll scene. Um, and a lot of the book is just based on that. Like she's going around in the underground scene and how music um, is helping her heal or uh, different boyfriends that she had um, in the music world. It's just like music was a, a very big topic in everything that I wrote, I guess. So then obviously your writing leads you to you know, as far as literature reviews and stuff like that. When, when did you uh, come to the U.S. exactly? I came to the U.S. Uh, when I was 21 years old, and I'm 32 now. Okay. It's going to be 11 years. And and you worked for a lot of, I mean, stuff people would know, like Rolling Stone and Glamour and, yeah. and all of these uh, yeah. brands. The other thing that fascinated me was you, you got into stuff that is just crazy not even in the realm like i saw like you had written a piece for uh, about the west memphis three and yeah just stuff like that that's amazing to me like it's just fascinating like how broad all of this <laughs> stuff is i mean sometimes i just i get really obsessed about a subject 
and I, I, I pay a lot of attention to like court cases and criminal justice uh, topics. You've probably seen me tweeting some stuff about it. People never understand what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but that's something that always has interested me. And in regards to West Memphis 3, that was a case that really touched me. I don't know if you remember reading about it at the time. Yeah, well, it's but, actually a story I've been fascinated with before, just reading about, yeah. Yeah, and it's a, it's a fascinating and a revolting story, really. Well, yeah. And yeah. when I started when I started being aware about it, I just, like, I felt a connection to Damien Echols um, because part of the reason that he was able to be convicted for murder and sent to death row was because of the way that he looked and the music that he listened to and the books that he read. Um, he lived in a town that was full of prejudice and they interpreted like his black clothing and his taste in heavy metal and horror movies as being satanic. Right. So the, the jury was able to convict him and his two friends of the murder, like based on a lot of bullshit. And that's partly why a lot of like famous musicians were drawn to the case as well, because eventually like their case was helped by a lot of people like Metallica, Marilyn Manson, Pearl Jam, Johnny Depp. There were a lot of people that got together and believed in their innocence, you know, based on, you know, tons and tons of court transcripts and a million ways that you could see that they were not guilty. But so I was really attracted to the case for that reason. And I just, I have a first, I personally have this thing where like injustice really bothers me. And if I think that something is wrong, like I can't go to sleep without trying to do something about it. And so I became involved in the, in the West Memphis three case as well. And um, I was writing for uh, Rolling Stone Brazil at the time. And I was a host on uh, Revolver Golden Gods award here in LA where a lot of the artists were there talking about the West Memphis three. So I started getting involved in it. Like I started donating money to help uh, with their DNA testing. It was eventually the DNA testing that was able to free them in the end. Uh, a lot of people had donated money to it and I was one of them. And I'm sorry if I'm like going on for No, this it. is what I'm um, here for. I want to hear this stuff. Uh, and like, so while they were still in prison, like people didn't really believe that they were going to come out. At least I didn't believe that they were going to come out just because the system is so unfair. I couldn't see it turning around. Um, and Damien was already um, on death row. And at that time I followed a Twitter, the official Twitter, Damien Echoes, which was made by a fan at the time. And the description in the bio was like, if Damien Echoes ever comes out of prison, they would give him that Twitter page. And that Twitter page like found me through whatever I was doing uh, that was related to the case. I think it was because I wore a West Memphis three dress to the Revolver Golden God Awards, actually, mm. that I had made for it, actually. Um, and so that Twitter was following me. And when the news came out that they were going to be freed, uh, Damien came out and he was following me and they did give him the page. So like I was able to be one of the first people that started talking to him which was really, really crazy. Like, he only followed 10 people, and he didn't even know what Twitter was. But it's really cool just how, like you said, these things just happen to you. I went down the rabbit hole just trying to 
I was like, all right, let me find out who Mae Valentine is. Because no offense, I, I, you know, I didn't know much about you before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course. And then I started reading about you and I'm like, well, good God, what do I talk to her about? <laughs> like, there's so much stuff here. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, this is such a life. Like, if you don't have an autobiography one day, that's that's crazy. Like, you have to... I, I should write one in case our world ends. <laughs> well, I know, I know, I know. So do, before you go crazy singing off the balcony of your place or yes. something, <laughs> I saw you were uh, apparently giving your uh, neighbors a concert today or something. Yeah, I've been trying to learn Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson choreography today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We gotta we gotta find something to do. You seem like you've oh my got, god, you've got like this. Um, I don't know if you feel. I always feel like I kind of have this sometimes because I get like really uh, when someone's super upset, but like the uh, the empath thing. Or like somebody's really upset, like I start to feel it too. And just like, like you talked about injustice. Like I always get like yeah. super angry at that stuff or like, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that's kind of how you are? I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Yeah. I, I was just talking about like, uh, you know, some people call it an empath or something. I don't know much about this. Oh stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I am very much like that. Yeah. Very so, much like that. Yeah. It sounded like that. That would be kind of you. And, and you know, what's crazy too is you uh in like 2015 you had a book published that because like when you first moved to hollywood then you were like right there with a murder you see how crazy my life is i do like any anything you ask me about is going to be some crazy story um (laughs) pretty much yeah that was like when i first moved to hollywood um i lived on a building on hollywood boulevard called the hollywood hillview it's like a it's a historic building for those who've never been here it's right on hollywood boulevard uh, on the Walk of Fame, and it was like um, it was one of the first buildings that accepted silent movie stars at the time. It's been there like since the twenties. Uh, Charlie Chaplin used to own the building, nice. uh, so a lot of the famous like silent stars that we know today. That was one of the first places that they lived when they moved to Hollywood, trying to be actors. So that uh, building has like a history of being haunted, and I'll tell you that it is because I lived there. So I was already like super fascinated with this building because I'm super fascinated with like haunted building stories. And that was something that I was very interested in when I moved to Hollywood. I wanted to go everywhere haunted. So this murder happened in the building. Um, one of my neighbors, his name is Paul Ellie. Um, he's now a convicted murderer. Hmm. Um, he murdered his fiance and a dean, Vigil rest in peace, um, in the hallway of the building. So what happened was he, sh- he shot her in the hallway of the building and barricaded himself inside his apartment. So like all of Hollywood Boulevard eventually had to be closed because he was barricaded into the apartment. Um, everybody had to be taken out of the apartment. And it was live on TV, you know, because it was a suspect hiding in a historic Hollywood building. And you were there at this time? Um, I was not in the building that night. Gotcha. Uh, But I knew them very well. Not very well, but, you know, they were my neighbors. Right. Um, And I'd hung out with them before. Uh, They'd come to my apartment before and everything. And what struck me was that they had both moved to Hollywood to look for some sort of fame. Like, she was a makeup artist uh, for the industry. And he was an aspiring uh, screenwriter. So they were really here, you know, the same way that most people in Hollywood are, 
to find success and find fame. And the crazy realization that I had was that they became famous through this murder. So he became a famous murderer. It, like his, the police taking him was live on television. And she became like a famous ghost. Because after that, she became part of the story of like the haunted tours that would go by, for example. Hmm. And I just thought that was such a, like a, a great, like, I don't know how to say it, but metaphor for everything. You know, like, you're finally famous. That's the title of the book. But you can't enjoy your fame anymore. Yeah. He's in prison and she's dead. So I had an idea for a thriller uh, based on that, you know, and based on people's obsessions with becoming famous or, you know, how your life can go either right or completely wrong in Hollywood. And that's pretty much how the idea for the book came. Crazy. How do you think, like, people... What did people around you think about that? Like, as far as, like, in, I mean, in the building at the time, like, if it becomes, like, this haunted ghost tour kind of thing, how do people react it was to very, that? It was very shocking. It was very, very shocking. And I made my neighbors into characters in the book. So, oh. uh, a lot of the characters in the book are, are based on my actual neighbors. And um, I talked to them through the whole thing. You know, like I was, I was present in court for his murder trial. I was actually the only person that went to the murder trial. I sat there for like two months. Even when it was else. on TV, nobody cared to show up to the actual trial. No, because it took a long time for the trial to happen. Gotcha. Uh, a long time. Like he kept pushing it as most as possible. He was trying uh, to be deemed insane. So he was doing a lot of shit just to fuck with the system and not have a trial. And no, like we didn't even know if the trial was going to happen. I think it happened like two years later. So by the time it happened, like, I don't know, people didn't care anymore. Yeah. So I was like one of the only people there. I think some days, one or another day, there was um, KCLE, I think, was there. And then uh, one of my neighbors came uh, one day. Um, I saw his family once. But pretty much the courtroom was empty and I was the only person there sitting down and writing the entire trial down. When you um you also do all of this writing and then you do so many interviews is is writing where your like heart is though because I mean you've just been doing it your whole life. I think it's just what comes natural to me. It's like the one thing that I can do, <laughs> you I know. Gotcha. Uh, and it's also like something that I kind of need. Like I need to express myself. I mean, I express myself. I think in different ways. Uh, but writing is definitely like. Um, like therapy kind of process for me one thing that that i'm interested in with with folks like yourself is uh i'm one of these guys where i felt like i had um i'm not gonna like waste your time too much with this part but like i felt like i had like ideas of what i wanted to do but i sat on it for too long and i'm only now deciding like you know what who cares if i hate my voice or if i want to put myself out there i'm just gonna do it and uh but but I see people like you and, and one of the things I've said fascinating a hundred times so far, but it really just is the word that I can think of that describes everything when I, when I read about you and like, I'm curious, you just decide one day in school that you, you don't want to go to school anymore. And then you, it's like you and things just start happening and you're just in these places. Like, did you ever... Did you doubt that it would work or did you just were like, fuck it, I'm just going to do this thing? No, every every single thing that I do, I actually don't. 
immediately think it's going to work. Like, Even I was now? shocked when the, when the publishing company wanted to publish my book when I was a teenager. Like, I remember that moment very clearly being like, oh, my God, they're actually publishing me. Like, I couldn't believe it. You know, even now. Yeah, even now I'm like that. That's crazy to me because you you just <laughs> you've had so many successes with all of this stuff. And, and even now you you doubt it. But I mean, what, was there like a feeling you were just like, I'm going to do this. And if I end up for lack of a better I think way, I of putting don't it. really I don't really think about things too much. Like when I have an impulse, <laughs> right. I just pretty much do it. Like I have a very hard time controlling an impulse. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to write a book. So I just go for it or I'm going to do whatever it is and I just go for it. And if it doesn't go right, if it goes wrong, you know, so what? That doesn't really define me. I have other things that I can try if something doesn't go right, I, I guess, is kind of how I think. So, I mean, we've talked about a lot of things that just kind of happened to you and then you were able to write about them or, or make something out of them. But, I mean, have you had a lot of experiences where you had a project in mind and it didn't work and you just had to bounce back from that? Is that... Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's so many. I just, like, there's probably so many stories like that, but I don't even, like, think about them or remember them. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. It no. just, it is what it is, and then I move on to the next thing. That's the, that's the part I wish I, 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 I'm trying to develop in myself, and I think a lot of people wish they had. They're just like, all right, well, it doesn't matter now. Let's move on. And so that's that's why I'm yeah. curious. So I'm always interested in that part of people because you you just bringing yourself into this whole thing, and then you show up in Hollywood, and there you are, and then you're hosting the uh, award show, and then you're just interviewing people. Everything is so crazy. Yeah, it's it's Honestly. it's really really cool though, and and you should be so proud. Now I do have, I have a. Couple- Sometimes I think it's like it's like my dad in the spiritual world, you know, and he's like guiding me or something. Because there's got to be something out there that helps me. Well, that is a perfect lead-in because you have two specific things I want to talk to you about. There are two, I think, probably opposite things, but two things I'm especially happy about that you've done. And one of them is is I watched a a short movie you did. And it is called uh, Hollywood Hauntings. Oh, yeah. But before we talk about that, May, I hate to interrupt this with a commercial, but I do need to talk about one second. Our friends over at Manscaped.com. Listen, May Valentine is a very cool lady, but I guarantee you that a guy like Royce doesn't get a girl like May if he's not taking care of himself. Besides being a buff, just tough guy, you gotta keep things clean and presentable below the belt as well. Now, I don't have to tell you, if you're listening to this and you're a guy, you're a very upstanding individual, and you probably already know this, but in case you don't, 70% of women have said that they prefer a man who grooms the genital region. I don't, I feel like I'm interviewing a lady, so I want to be as polite as possible. But I'm sure she gets it. I mean, she understands. Mae Valentine, I'm sure, has heard of Manscaped. I mean, they completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their engineering team spent 18 months perfecting this thing, and it's new and improved. It's the Lawnmower 3.0. It's a third generation trimmer, nick free technology here. They call it advanced skin safe technology specifically, but you will not cut yourself. So, 
everything you've got to get done, you can get it done. It's got a 90 minute battery and a LED light on it to make sure you know exactly where you're driving down there. And all of that sounds great. And you might think it's loud because it's got a 7,000 RPM motor, but it definitely does not. It has quiet stroke technology, so you're not going to disturb anybody and you can sneak away for a little while and get the job done when you think something special is about to go down. And let's not forget about the charging stand because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours using the code NWAPOD, that's N-W-A-P-O-D, over at manscaped.com is gonna get you 20% off and free shipping. So don't waste any time. Your balls are going to thank you. You're going to impress the ladies. So go over to manscaped.com. Use the code NWAPOD for 20% off and free shipping. That is an excellent deal. Go do it. Help them. Help us help you. It's a beautiful situation. All right. I got to talk to May about some haunted stuff. I'm already, by the way, just on a side note, seeing where the connection with Royce would be like a match made in heaven because in, in the interview <laughs> I did with him, we spent most of the time talking oh, yeah. about he true crime. The first time I ever talked to him in person, that's pretty much what we talked about. I, and then I interviewed I him. The, I think the first time Royce thought I was really cool was when he realized that I had written about the West Memphis three. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, he, he is fascinated with this kind of stuff, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to spend two interviews here disappointing anybody that's tuning in for NWA stuff because I'm just like, nah, I want to talk about all these things these other people are interested in. Yeah, <laughs> you can just put on put Royce on just talking about true crime, and he will enjoy that. No, he was super happy by the end of it. He even told me, he was like, man, that was kind of fun. Like, I thought we were just going to talk about wrestling the whole time. <laughs> we just talked about right. all these other things. Anyway, so uh, when you did... Hollywood hauntings, like I also love that stuff. So what? Thank you. What and 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 yours was really cool. I think I, I finally found it on the. I want to say it was the Facebook page of. And I apologize. Oh yeah, I should it was have the production it. company's uh, production uh, Facebook page, probably. Well, it was actually the um the. I just gonna sound like I'm being a jerk, but the witch that was there, and I cannot oh, remember yeah. her name. I should have written it down, and uh, I did not. Pa- Patty Negri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, she's she's like a very well known medium here in Hollywood. She's been on a lot of TV shows, like uh, ghost investigation type of shows. Yeah. So what was the story with that? Like, what I mean, how did that come about? Okay, so Hollywood Hauntings, uh, for people that don't know, is a short documentary uh, that we did. I actually live in that building. That's where I live. Nice. Um, so, like I said, like I, I always was fascinated with haunted buildings, and I moved to this building called the Hollywood Tower, which is another um, historically haunted building here in Hollywood. There's a lot of those here, and this one specifically is like, is the building that inspired um, the Tower of Terror ride in Disney, like where the elevator drops. Right. So it was based on this building. This building is so special. It's so amazing, and it's got a lot of history. And it's very, very haunted. And, like, I can't stretch that enough because anybody that goes into the Hollywood Tower feels it. And this this documentary, actually, was not the first time that I shot something like that. Like, I have been uh, in a guest or invited by, like, several different um, television shows throughout the year because I live here and I have access to the place um, to do, like, ghost investigations. So with Hollywood hauntings, 
specifically, it was an idea by this Brazilian director, uh, Mariana Tomé, and she already, you know, she already knew about my writing career, and she really wanted to do something like ghost investigation type of thing. So yeah, we wrote this short documentary. Actually, I wrote it. Um, she helped me with it too. And we basically interview our neighbors about the the, the experiences that they've had. And um, Patty Negri, this uh, famous medium slash witch. I, I've known Patty also for a few years. The first time I met her was um, during one of the Halloweens, like the building itself brought Patty in to give a, a tour of the building. So like the building used to do this all the time on Halloween, like because, you know, it advertises the fact that it's haunted, um, which is also like part of the subject of my finally famous book, how you can how you can make money off of these haunted places. But anyways, I already knew Patty from like other seances. I sound so weird uh, that she did in the building. So she was just like the perfect character for it, really. Um, and yeah, we held a seance uh, in the building and. You know, it's not the first time that I do that with her. There is actually a, a an episode in a Brazilian show that I did after that, um, that a lot of crazy things happen in, like real, real crazy things. But specifically with Hollywood hauntings, unfortunately, it has to be edited really short. And a lot of the crazier things that happened ended up not being, didn't make the final cut. Like I didn't have uh, any control over the final cut. Mariana didn't either. Why would uh, they cut that the people, out? It was actually the people that were the investors that had um, creative control of it. Right. And whatever reason they made that, I don't know why they made that decision, but I don't know. You would have to ask them probably. Just the best parts were cut off. But it's still something that I'm really proud of having done. I think it's a cool short documentary. Oh, it is. And I'll call them after this and figure that out. But, but <laughs> um, no, it, it was... Well, it, it was supposed to be a pilot, really. Like, it was going to be a TV show, and we were going to go to several different haunting locations. So that was just supposed to be the pilot. Um, but it ended up not happening, so they just made it into a short documentary. I, I was curious about that, because that's actually... It, it felt like that. It felt like... Uh, yeah. I, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, well, this could be a show. Like, this could just oh, be... Oh, yeah, it, like... was, it, was, it was a show. It was totally a show. And if you watch it, you can see it's, just a, it's a pilot. It's completely a pilot. Listen, made a haunted places. This would be perfect. Yeah. That, but but I mean, so was that? Pardon me, but was it all that was like live, like legit, like you guys were doing yeah. the seance yeah, and everything? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every time we do that, it's legit. You shouldn't mess with that stuff if it's not legit. Yeah. Um. The. I mean, one of the best parts. Uh. Well, there's a couple. Of, I mean, people should check it out if they can find it. And uh, like, there's the part. I'll post it. Actually, remind me to post that. Okay, I will. And yeah. uh, and you, um, I mean, there, there's a really cool part, like in the elevator. Uh, you you've already talked about it, and then there's like the girl that um, her grandmother and the yeah, she's telling her all this stuff that her grandmother did and all yeah, of that. It was it was, it was blowing my mind. Was, was that girl was the makeup artist working on the shoot, and they said they just said to her like, "You want to sit down? You want to be a part of it?" And you know, she wasn't meant to be a part of it. And it ended up that the first uh, spirit that came in contact with us was her grandmother. So she was really emotional about it. It was a really important moment for her. I can imagine. What about for you? Because, I mean, you know, I don't want to get, you know, more personal than you want to get. But, like, you had the story about your, your grandfather. And uh, did that help yeah. you at all? Like, the, the idea that... Oh, you know, uh, I don't 
think it helps me. Yeah. I, like, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool to get a message from someone you love that has passed away. But I also don't know if necessarily a Ouija board is the best way. <laughs> okay. Um, I would rather just, you know, talk to my grandfather on my own time than try to bring him in through a Ouija board. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, that was that was an intense moment too. He had just passed away when we were shooting that. Yeah, I mean, that stuff's always fascinating to me, but it's one of those things that, you know, I always look at ghosts like I totally believe that it's possible and then it's also one of those things that's fully hard it's like hard to fully grasp it unless you see it and I'm also the yeah. kind of person who's like I'd rather not see it <laughs> so it's yeah I don't want to ever see it but I've heard it many times but I think you have to have that kind of uh, you have to be that kind of medium you know I don't think just any kind of person can see a ghost well you had mentioned in the in the thing about like being in the gym and like lights and stuff like that yeah that's, yeah, that's crazy. See, I've I've had a couple of things like that happen to me, and I just freak out. And I'm like, I don't want any part of this, and I'm out, and I'm gonna ignore that this ever happened. <laughs> it's funny because I don't actually get scared. I get more excited than scared. Really? I think it's because like I re I've all my life I wanted to find proof that you know something happens after you die. I think it's like that's where it all comes from with sure. me. You know, like believing that there's something after. Right. Uh, so, like, my entire life, I'm just, like, trying to find evidence that there's such thing as ghosts, there's such thing as spirits, you don't just disappear. Yeah, I think I think that's a big thing for a lot of people that are that are fascinated with, I would imagine, is, is like, you... Yeah, and we, and nobody has the answer for it, you know? Like, nobody can, has the evidence for it. Right. It's like you can never prove it, almost. It's a, it's a weird thing, but it's oh, i love that stuff so i was i was super fascinated yeah to see it's, it's like pat i think patty says that in the documentary she says you know people are fascinated with things that they don't know yeah i i think that's it and and people struggle with i mean even in the situation that we're in now as we're taping this like you know it's like people either accept it and and just deal or like people want to pretend it's not a real thing out there in the yeah. world right now because it, yeah. it makes you face your mortality and like what happens yeah. what's going on you know exactly but these are weird times we are at right now if if the audience <laughs> you know uh wants a little background if somebody ever watches this in the future <laughs> right right no it is like we are in isolation right now and the crazy virus has taken over the world it's <laughs> it's Put this conversation in context no, it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I guess that's good. A, a lot of these interviews are like kind of evergreen, like somebody might find it 20 years from now or something. And yeah. yeah, it's uh, no, I mean, and we're in a situation that nobody has dealt with before. I mean, unless you're yeah, like some 80 year old person and we're with the first flu coming in or something. Yeah, you know? it's, it's not. It, I, it feels like it feels like a war against like an invisible enemy or something. It feels like we're at war sometimes. Yeah, that everything just shuts down. That's crazy. Well, I'm going to twist it into something happy here real quick because this okay. made me happy and I have to ask you about this. And please don't hold back. <laughs> okay. Anybody who knows me, this is this is going to be really weird, but I am a huge fan of Vin Diesel. He's like nice. my favorite person in Hollywood. I love him. He's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and I know he's probably a weird guy, but I love 
everything he does. I just watched Bloodshot and I had a friend tell me it was not a good movie and I was like, whatever. It gets like two and a half stars just because Vin Diesel is there. And uh, I just love that yeah. guy. And you did an interview with him and I watched that. And- I did a few interviews with him actually. Well, okay, you did. and um, But the one you're talking about is Fast and Furious? Yes, where it is yeah. like the rawest, like just I, I've never even seen Isn't anybody that crazy? get crazy. Yeah, I've never seen anybody get that way with him before. Me neither, which was why that was so shocking to me. So tell me all about him. <laughs> uh, well, I've interviewed him, I think, maybe three times before. He was always really cool to me. Like, I like to me, he's one of the favorite people that I have interviewed. And like you said, like, you don't always see him like that. I always felt like I had some kind of chemistry with him. Like, sometimes you just have that with a person. And you can talk to them really easily and they just open up with you. You know, so, so many of these like movie interviews are like robotic because, you know, the, the actor has been sitting there all day and he's doing 200 other interviews and, you know, he's not really getting deep in anything. Uh, but whenever I sat down with him, I felt like he wanted uh, to be honest with me and I think it's because we felt this kind of like chemistry or connection or whatever um I don't know if he would say that but that's how I felt about it every time I talked to him um and like he would he always remembered me every time that I saw him so you know I knew that you know it wasn't just something that he had faked right um but specifically on the Fast and Furious interview it was like Paul Walker had just passed away and it was like a really emotional subject. And I didn't even know if I wanted to go there. But because that movie was a tribute uh, to Paul, you know, I felt like I could. And I had watched the movie the day before. And I think I say that in the interview with him. Like, I, I was as excited as I was devastated by the movie because, you know, because Paul was gone. And it's such a beautiful tribute to him. And I don't know what happened. Like, he really just opened up with me, and I felt like we were just two friends talking. And you can really see that in the interview, you know? Like, it wasn't a normal interview. It, was, it just got really deep. And that interview actually went viral because he got very emotional. Like, he cried during the interview. Yeah. And, like, I was so, so thankful to him because, like, he trusted me with his emotion. You know, you have to trust the journalist because I could have turned around and made something sensational out of it. But like, I think that he knew that that wasn't my point. So he, he felt comfortable with me and it just turned out really beautiful. That's, that's kind of actually leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. was like, I mean, I, I, I have to use some of this time that I have with you to ask you about, uh, clearly this is something I'm interested in doing or like the journalism aspect or the interview aspect and that sort of things. And you are, uh, a seasoned professional, but like, I mean, in that interview in particular, you seem to have like, it was like you would say something and he'd be like, well, I don't, I don't know how to put it better than you just put it. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then like you, I mean, were the, and you, and you flowed so well, I'm curious, like, did you have, and you, it's not like you had a sheet of paper in front of you. I mean, does that no. just come naturally to you? It's so weird. I get so nervous before those interviews. Like you can't tell because I can actually be a good actress in that situation. Right. Uh, but I'm really, really nervous when I'm doing something like that. 
Um, usually I'll have my questions in front of me, but for some reason I didn't even get them. I like, I forgot to get them. So I think it was either I was holding it or it was in my pocket. I can't remember. No, you but didn't, you didn't have anything flowing. in your hands. I was, oh, yeah. I, was, I was looking for it. I was like, where are all these coming from? <laughs> it just started flowing so naturally that I, like, I didn't have to look at anything just because we were really in, in the conversation, like two real people and not like the interviewer and the actor. Yeah, and th- th- those are the best to me always, and that's what I want to try to get to. Like, and, and, like, so sometimes- I don't know if there is a formula for it, to be honest. Like, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Like, sometimes I think that I'm going to have a great interview with someone that I'm a huge fan of. And it just sucks because they're answering, like, very robotically and just saying what they're supposed to say. And you really don't get anything out of it. And then sometimes something like that will happen. So I don't really think you can predict. You know, I think just the best way is to go into it as prepared as possible. Like, know that information instead of just, you know, having it written down and having to look at it, like know the information, like know the person, uh, you know, know what they went through, know what the movie is about. Because if you know, then even if you forget your question, you can still go on. That That's okay. So that, that actually makes me feel better because it, um, you know, I feel like I've had that experience that exact same way. It's like some people, like you just feel like, all right, I've got to have something written down. And it's like, um, you know, not blowing smoke here, but like talking to you, I'm like, oh, I could have talked to her the whole time. I didn't need anything jotted down. Like we could have just had a conversation. I think I I am that kind of interviewed. How do you say that? Interviewee? (laughs) That doesn't even exist. I think so. (laughs) Um, Like I'll just talk to people, you know, like I'll just talk to you as if we're at a bar or at a party or at a restaurant, wherever the fuck we are. Well, yeah, um, and, and but uh, like I'll spend so much time beforehand, like I'm like, all right, I'm gonna talk to to May Valentine today, so I need to know everything. I need to make notes, and my wife's like, you could talk to a brick wall. Like when we go out places, you just talk to people. But I'm like, yeah. I just need to know because now I've had a few experiences where it's like, if I didn't, but have, it's, like, good, a to, few it's things, good to do that. I think it's important to do that because you don't know how the person's gonna be. Right. Exactly. So do you have any um, like tips for like interviews? Like, do you have anything you've learned that you were like along the way? Like, uh, I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about it a little, I guess, but like, is there anything you were like, oh, I wish I'd have known that five years ago or something like that, that you learned? I, I just have to pick your brain. Interview wise? Yeah. Interview wise, I guess. I don't know. I guess that's, it's pretty much what I just told you, you know? Yeah. To not look at it like you have to memorize the formulas for an for an exam and just try to be really interested in the person that you're interviewing i think it helps a lot if you watch several of their interviews well, obviously you watch a few of mine that's what i do as well like i want to know how that person talks um are are they short do they go on you know if you ask them a question are they going to say yes or no or are they going to go into a story like what's their style i think it's important to know the style of the person Right. I think it's important to know things that they don't like to talk about or subjects that they do enjoy talking about because maybe you bring one of those subjects up and that's what's going to open them up. So I I think pretty much just like be interested in the in the topic, be interested in the person and like never be starstruck. Maybe maybe that's my best advice. Don't be starstruck because everyone's a person. Like Vin Diesel is a person. You know, he has feelings. He was crying. Easy for you, you to know. say. 
he, he got he, up in the morning and he had to, you know, leave his baby at home to come do his job. So, right. like, he's a person. He has problems. He has good days. He had bad days. I think that's, like, my best advice. Like You're going to be one. nervous. You're going to be nervous when you see some people, like, I don't know if I'm going to interview Brad Pitt. Probably I'm going to feel like fainting when I walk into the room. Right. But control yourself. Uh, give don't actually pass second. out give yourself a second to be like all right you know i'm here enjoy the moment uh and don't be starstruck just see everybody as a human being because that's what it is i like that though that's golden stuff right there that's good advice all right so i'm going to disappoint a lot of people and i don't want to take up all of your time here you've been very generous how did you end up in the nwa i don't know a better way to go about it than that it's like all of this stuff we had to get there yeah we had to we had to get there eventually i I, there there, do you think do you think this is going to be a normal story or another crazy story i i hope nobody died in the process that's what i'm thinking yeah it's another crazy story of i was doing one thing and i ended up in a different place okay um so I didn't grow up watching wrestling like most people did because I grew up in Brazil and wrestling was not on mainstream television in Brazil. Um, And even today, like as I'm in the NWA, most people don't understand what I'm doing, which is something that I would like to see change. Um, But I didn't grow up with wrestling and I only started um, watching wrestling and falling in love with wrestling in my adult life. Uh, after I was already living in the U.S. But it was kind of like sometimes I watched WWE. I wasn't like a hardcore, like passionate fan. Um, And then last year, or it's been one year. Yeah, it's been one year. Like I was going through some personal problems and I was in like a kind of a dark moment in my life. I think that everything good that I do actually comes from a dark moment, which I think is like a cool lesson. But like I was very depressed and I was going through a lot. It's exactly a year ago, actually. And I was sitting at home and I just really wanted to like reinvent myself somehow. I wanted to, be, to do something different. Um, and I had been watching uh, wrestling a lot. Um, and then one day I was just like, I think I was watching uh, it with Charlotte and Becky Lynch. And I just started thinking like, you know, what if I tried wrestling? Because I would watch them and I would feel like they are so powerful. They are so strong. They are they are so inspirational. Like I would find them so, so, so inspirational. Uh, and then I started thinking, you know, if I learn how to wrestle, I think that I would be the happiest person in the world. Like that's where that feeling came from. I've repeated this in other interviews because for me, that really was the moment. And it felt like a weird calling because I never thought about that before. Why were you um, watching it? Uh, sorry. just Because to- I enjoy watching it. Like I enjoy martial arts. I watch... I watch boxing, I watch UFC, Okay. Uh, I watch wrestling sometimes, I, I mean at the time, and now I watch wrestling way too much, um, <laughs> but I just like, I always wanted to, to fight somehow, I wanted to be involved in some kind of martial arts, there was a period in my life that I tripped out that I was going to be an MMA fighter and never going to happen, um, but like I knew that I wanted to like put that energy out somehow, like I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where it came from. It was just like I was literally sitting at home watching them. And I thought if I knew how to wrestle, I would be the happiest person in the world. <laughs> and I started searching for wrestling schools. I actually had no idea what I was doing. 
and I found a wrestling school in Las Vegas, Future Stars of Wrestling, FSW, who welcomed me. Uh, but I found them, and I wrote them an email, and I said, hey, I have no experience. You know, I've never, like, I don't have an athletic background, but I would love to give wrestling a try. Like, how crazy am I? And they answered me. They were super welcoming, and that was in Vegas. I live in Los Angeles. And to me, at the time, it seemed like the perfect way to get over my problems was to move to Vegas and learn how to wrestle. So that's what I did. Um, I moved to Vegas and I was living in between hotels. Like, according to the weekly deals, I would move from hotel to hotel. So I lived everywhere from like Circus Circus to Hooters to the best ones to the worst ones. Every week I would move around according to like what was cheaper. And I started going to, to FSW like completely out of the blue. And before that, so okay, so there's another connecting part to that. That's a, a side information story. Okay. Um, so the year prior to that, um, I had been cast in a Smashing Pumpkins music video because uh, that's something I do sometimes too, like music videos. I love being a part of music videos. And um, I had been in a Smashing Pumpkins music video. Which one? And uh, Silvery Sometimes. It's not a big deal at all. No, uh, no, but no, but I've watched that video like a hundred times and I don't think I've okay, pieced see this me. together. I'm the, I'm the first person that comes up in the audience. Oh my God. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and watch it now. No, I, I grew up a okay. huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. So <laughs> Nice, me too. I love Smashing Pumpkins and I love Billy Corgan. Yeah, and I, I kind of knew him like from the industry. I met him a couple of times before that. Um, I met him at a um, promotional event he did for 98.7. Anyways, I see him around sometimes. Uh, but I met him at the music video, but that was it. Shot the video, went home, whatever. Uh, then one year later, which was when I was in Vegas, I guess I posted a throwback or something and, uh, Billy came to my page and saw that I was in wrestling school and coincidentally enough, I was wearing a Smashing Pumpkin shirt. Nice. So another crazy story. And pretty much we started talking about, you know, wrestling and if I was wrestling, if I wanted to wrestle, whatever. And he kept watching my stuff and talking to me about joining the NWA. So that's pretty much how that happened. Wow. So it wasn't uh, just a love at first sight with Royce at a bar one night or anything. No, it was not. (laughs) Um, Well, I was, eventually I left Vegas actually. And I came back to LA because Vegas is cool. But after six months, you feel like killing yourself pretty much. Uh, (laughs) Oh, be honest, man. <laughs> and so I, I came I came back to L.A. I had met Royce in Vegas, actually. He had had a match at FSW. That's how I met him. And so I asked him if he would be interested in training me. So that's, like, how we started hanging out. And he, was, he started training me in L.A. Uh, that was before I joined the NWA, and he was already in the NWA. And we had no idea that we I was going to be in the NWA. That's really cool, though. That's a that's yeah. an interesting story. I, I I talked to like one of the Circle Squared people already, so I've like had all of them. And um, uh, Freya, who's like in Alaska, she she just had yeah. the story. I was like, where? What's the story with you? And she's like, well, I you know like one day Billy Corgan DM'd me, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, and now hearing you, I'm like, well, Billy Corgan will just slide into those DMs. He, <laughs> I don't know. It's just always weird to me that he, well, like he's a, he's a very respectful guy. Oh well, I, I yeah, I I yeah. don't mean it like that. I just mean that it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I guess he's he's always searching for like new talent. 
Yeah, it's just crazy to me that a guy like him who probably gets like a, a thousand DMs a day and who you would think like probably just avoids that altogether is also like, oh, I like this person. I'm going to talk to them. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think he follows his intuition. And I mean, he's brilliant. He's, he's a genius in what he does. And he follows his intuition and he has a vision of something and he goes for it, you know, which I think is really awesome. A hundred percent. And my thing is that I grew up a Smashing Pumpkins fan. I've watched wrestling my whole life. So it was like when I finally decided to do something combining like or with with wrestling it was like oh billy corgan bought the nwa i'm like well that's i know that's the place that's that's where i'm going (laughs) like i want to start doing stuff with that summarizes his entire personality that he he would be crazy enough to do something like that and make it work yeah it's it's super fascinating to me uh also with him so uh no it makes perfect sense that you you would end up there so I guess I got to ask you too then, so you're in there and you're hanging out with Royce, but then poor Sal broke his arm and he's been hanging <laughs> out with you, uh, the poor guy. And uh, yeah. Royce has a temper and he is not happy with it. And I've asked them both no, about this. <laughs> I asked them both about it and uh, Sal's just like very casual. Like, oh, we're just good friends. And uh, she's yeah. become my best friend. And Royce yeah. is like, you know, I was like, hey, man, don't you think you've been, uh, you, you've got a problem there? Like, she's just making friends. And he's like, he's like helping her with her lingerie uh, stuff. Like, is that cool? Yeah, <laughs> he, he doesn't, he doesn't like that very much. And, you know, you can, you can put that out there for the, for the listeners, you know, would you be upset if your girl's best friend started helping her in her lingerie line? I mean, I always, you know, tell Royce that he has nothing to worry about. Um, but he still worries. Yeah, well, it's tough. I I imagine, but yeah, maybe that's a good idea for a, a a quiz or something. Maybe we put that out there. Like, a is is he in the? He o- just he doesn't trust Sal's intentions, and I do. Yeah, well, I mean, for what it's worth, talking to Sal was uh, one of the easiest conversations I've had too. He was super friendly and uh, just real real cool guy. So I get it. I get it. Royce just fr- finds him a little bit too friendly, but he's got to get o- he's got to get over it cuz the girls allowed to have friends. Yeah, you're right. You you are allowed to have friends. Uh, but but you've got like Camille and stuff. Is that not enough? Like you I'm not allowed to have guy friends? Oh, no, no. I'm Come not on, judging guys. you. I'm just uh, you know, just, <laughs> it's just 2020. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We got to take all the friends <laughs> we can have. I mean, and they're all by Skype or something anyway. So <laughs> But anyway. Oh so, yeah, no, but it's it, Sal's been a great friend to me. Well, that's good. And uh, it's unfortunate that Royce loses his mind like that. I mean, I'm not happy about it. Um, but I just try to reassure him that everything's okay and he has nothing to worry about. Well, hopefully that all pans out because uh, I, I'm, you, you seem like a great person. Sal seems like a great person. Royce, I, I had a good time talking to. He just seems like he uh, <laughs> loses it real quick. So, you know. <laughs> um, may- I, would say, I would say Royce is a little sensitive. He seems, he seems that way. Uh, Miss May Valentine, this has been one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. Thank you so much. Aww, thank you for doing this, and and I appreciate you being so cool about everything and, and taking the time and being patient with me. It was a uh, very very nice of you. Um, I, I I watched all of you guys' episodes, just so you know. Oh well, that's that's really cool. Thank you very very yeah, much. Yeah, I, I I see your friend Adam 
talking about me. Uh, he is. Uh, <laughs> he, he he has a little crush. I think. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. That's a normal reaction. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm not judging. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me too. So it's it's fine. Um, hey, tell everybody where they can find you on all the social media stuff. Uh, sure. You guys can find me on Instagram or Twitter. It's a Myra Diaz Gomez. M A Y R A D I A S G O M E S. Myra Diaz Gomez. It's all. It's all. Don't don't listen to her say it because it does not sound like that to us. Yeah, just listen to the spelling of it. Yeah, exactly. Like it uh, for us uh, ignorant Americans, it does not sound that way. The people <laughs> that grew up here. But uh, hey, thank you, thank you again so much for your time. Of course. <laughs>